I had to ask it really, is chivalry dead? chivalry um i think it you know a pro the process of being a gentleman or being genteel i don't necessarily think it can be gendered but i think it has been i think being a nice person and doing nice things for other people is important and i hate the idea that someone wouldn't be kind to me because feminism it seems very backward um, and I do notice when I'm on the tube that it's always myself or other women that stand up for pregnant women or that, you know, offer our seats for someone who's elderly. It's almost like, you know, men are so frightened now of doing the wrong thing. But, you know, help me, help everyone. Let's all help each other. I think I'm more of a gent than most of the men I know. And that annoys me. So um, I wouldn't say it's dead, but I think we all need to embrace it as a behavior a lot more. I don't think you should put a gender on just being a nice person. No, exactly. I'm I'm confused by what a gentleman is these days. I always think of people holding doors open, which is pretty standard behaviour now, yeah. isn't it? You know, is yeah, it paying for the meal on a date, which is a whole other a whole other thing. You know, yeah. we're existing in this strange era at the moment where men are perhaps behaving less gentlemanly than ever. Yeah. Uh, especially and online. Do you, know. you think they're behaving less gentlemanly than ever because they they think that they can get away with it or because they're scared to like be polite i don't know well it's it's kind of a strange dichotomy really because to behave like a true gentleman which would be i suppose kind respectful considerate it's it's kind of an old-fashioned view but it's also and if i was being mischievous like oh, this word woke i hate the word woke because of the negative connotations it now has from the positive start that it had mm. but because you have this ultra loud misogyny with like pickup artists and then nagging and coercive control and then there's the old school type of misogyny, which is treating women as feeble. It's quite a confusing space to find what being a true gentleman is. Yeah. Because you're either seen as, it used to be that a, a sign of strength, didn't it, to, to be a gentleman. But then you don't want to enfeeble women. And now it's seen as a weakness in men. Basically all of it is an enemy of feminism, bizarrely. None of it really helps women out. Mm. This is the annoying thing about it. So it's just more confusing than ever. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I completely agree with you. And I do think that, you know, as a short person who struggles to put their suitcase on, you know, on the luggage rack, women tend to help me more than men because, of course, they don't want to enfeeble me or make me feel like I can't do it. Um, but I can't do it, so please help me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I always ask, just, just to be clear, yeah. I do always ask. Yeah. I always help um, people down the stairs with their pushchairs. Yeah. I was going to say, the pushchair one is, yeah. is is a standard that I always... I'm horrified when people walk past yeah. people who are struggling like that. I do think men still feel like they should take the lead, but I reckon a lot of them would love to be let off the hook. Mm, I think so. I, I genuinely think that there's an element that men want equality to go so far that they don't even worry about it mm. when actually it's not a case of equality it's just being a nice person yeah um, they can be off the hook when we fix the orgasm gap and the wage gap and then it'll be fine yeah in that order or is it well i have my priorities guys <laughs> <laughs> i mean i suppose the other thing is we we have a real absence of role models as you said the highest people in the land basically get away with whatever they want um i suppose in media and through various forms of culture, we're 
still being given this ideal of you know the man that is tough and strong and does whatever they like and you know gets away with it so again i I guess it comes back to a a kind of discussion as a society around what what do we want men to be (laughs) how do we cultivate what we think is an ideal man or an ideal person i guess for not just for relationships or love but to have in a society in a in a welcoming productive you know happy society again not to let men off the hook for their behaviors but it seems like we're we're getting quite contrasting messages about what sort of people we want men to be it seems don't know whether you agree with that i know i think you're right and i think there's so much at play you know there's um there's class and there's culture and there's you know um us all having different opinions on what we find sexually attractive and you know there's the advent of of the internet and hyper communication and we can't unpick patriarchy and start again from the bottom because as much as I wish we could in terms of late stage capitalism and that affects how we you know relate to each other and patriarchy and how that affects us we can't just blow it up like we're trying really really hard to take apart the institutions that hold us all back but it is really difficult so you know I can't say this is a perfect man and give everyone a playbook we kind of have to do it piece by piece and that starts with personal responsibility and Mm. us you know developing our EQ and seeing other people as human and you know not bringing our biases and our toxic masculinity or our misogyny to the table when we're dating Um, and as Justin said seeing people as individuals and giving them our time and you know, being conscientious. Um, to say, communicate and be kind is so hammy, but there's such important things when you're stepping into the arena and going to, you know, going to communicate with anybody, whatever age, whatever gender, however they identify. You've got to listen to them. You've got to be nice. You've got to make them feel special. Um, and if that's missing, then, you know, the whole question of what is a man falls down because I do feel it's a man's responsibility to be a good person, just like it's a woman's responsibility to be a good person. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to see where um, our progress on gender takes this discussion and whether it will liberate men to some degree. I'm hopeful. Um, you know, I, I'm in my, should we say mid? I'm 47, let's say mid. I'm in my <laughs> mid 40s. So I've seen over the last 30 years a huge amount of change. And the current change is the stuff I'm most excited about, even though I, you know, I came out in a in a period of accelerated, it's felt like queer liberation. So I'm really hoping that the because I think as Emily said, we can't dismantle this stuff ourselves. It really is going to come from the individual. And it's all about the generations that are coming up behind us. Not that I think that men my age, for example, are past saving. I hope not. But I do think it's going to be a case of society generally. The thing is, if you don't progress yourself, society moves you along anyway. And gradually these outdated, uh, toxic um, attitudes and ways of living will become crushed. That's just the way that, that life goes. We're living in a very difficult period at the moment, I think. I mean, we're having this discussion in the middle of Pride Month, which is actually quite a a triggering time for me personally because of all the negativity I see around um, corporations or whatever, you know, looking for queer representation. 
So it, sometimes it can feel like we are going backwards. And I just think that is purely because the negativity is so shocking that when it's amplified, we talk about it a lot more. You know, it can be easier to give a criticism than give a compliment sometimes. And I think it's related to that. So my very long-winded uh, answer to this question is, I don't know, but I do think that it starts with the individual, whether it's within families and friendship groups. But I do have faith that things are going to change for the better as the more comfortable we get with how we interact with technology and how we interact with each other as um, gender barriers are broken down, the more the more people among us who are different and who don't subscribe to these attitudes, I think will help educate us. I think the, um, the, the latest census was absolutely eye-opening for that, just showing the, the difference between even 10 years in who was queer and who was non-conforming to gender and, and, and these different kind of things. I think that was really eye-opening for actually seeing how progress is made um, and how, yes, as you say, it will happen whether people like it or not. Um, just on the topic of uh, role models, the one thing that I've constantly noticed about the idea of the perfect male role model and who we want men to be is typically the kind of the media view of that is in itself a stereotype. The typical male role model of a positive, like progressive masculine person typically is a footballer, maybe has a beard, some tattoos, is generally open about masculinity and stuff. But I do feel just that that kind of image is is transgressive perhaps because it's not representing the whole spectrum of masculinity and like male identity because we're not all footballers. We're not all um, Gordon Ramsay and we're not all fantastic people. And I feel that it needs to be so much more inclusive because otherwise you're going to miss people out. And unfortunately, the people you do miss out tend to be the people who will become more worried about their own masculinity and sometimes to the extremes. Yeah, and those extreme role models are obviously what I think we need to be very careful of because, as Justin was saying, community and family are really important touchstones for how we describe and sort of support and coach positive masculinity. Um, you know, if you don't have a community around you of people who are reiterating important messages about how we treat each other, um, then you are likely to fall victim to maybe some kind of, you know, video that you come across on TikTok that takes something Andrew Tate says completely out of context and makes you feel seen. And that's a worry. I wonder also to what extent it's an issue that uh, I guess men aren't encouraged to kind of work on themselves and to know themselves or undergo that process of self-discovery. Who am I? What do I, as you alluded to earlier, I think at the very beginning of the, the podcast, wants, needs, desires, who am I looking for? What sort of person am I if I had to describe myself? We're not, it doesn't seem to me that we're encouraged to go through that period of self-reflection and or self-improvement as well, thinking about what are my weaknesses? What, what, what have I done wrong in the past and how can I try and not make those same mistakes in the future? Again, it, it feels like we need some sort of education or some sort of wide scale change in the way that we talk about you know, what, what men should be doing. It's not just working on their six pack, but also working on themselves. It's almost like as a man, you are born the finished product because you are the default, because the world is 
it feels like it belongs to you. You're told it does. Mm. And you're told that you can be anything that you want to be, but no one ever says you can be anyone that you want to be. It's a thing. It's a something in the distance that you have to reach for. You know, it's it's it all ties into the patriarchy again. You know, it's about being a provider, being successful, being in competition with other men, doing better than your the generation behind you and providing for the children that will come in front of you. You are not really encouraged to examine yourself because you are the default you know products are designed for you they're the size that you are just all this kind of stuff it really does feed into you know an accidental perhaps sometimes entitlement that men have because why should we change why should we look into ourselves when everything seems to be going fine Mm. and I think Mm. when you speak to I mean certainly in the past when I've spoken to men about male privilege and the fact that things are designed for them and the world is made for them and you know even the the kind of nine to five situation is you know is for a male body um they don't rail against those ideas they just haven't considered them before and the more we teach our kids critical thinking and empathy the better off we're going to be because i do think we yeah we kind of churn out kids through this school system where they don't really think about these kinds of things then they're out there, they're in the world, and they just kind of expect things to go a certain way. Um, the more we can relate to each other and the more we can encourage young boys to think critically about the systems and structures and processes yeah. and communication styles, the better. Because, yeah, a lot of the time, they're just not really considering it. And certainly kind of men my age and in their 40s, who I've spent a lot of time with, um, they first get quite defensive when you talk about male privilege. Then they start to understand what it is and then they go, oh, I've never really thought about what it's like to be you before or anyone else. Um, And that's, you know, that's where being a good man starts. You know, when I was at school, girls were siphoned off to learn about menstruation and not being sexually assaulted. Mm. The boys just got to watch something else on TV. We were never taken aside and taught about, I mean, it's a long time ago, but taught about consent and the challenges that you will face as a man and how how to behave and how to overcome those and what's expected of you ever. You know, women have always had to do the hard work there. They've had to um, adjust and adapt and men never have. And it's like you say that they've never had to consider it. I always go back to the arguments over the air con in offices and heating. It's freezing right now in this room. It, well, it is freezing. <laughs> <laughs> there's no argument about that. But, you know, there's always, women are always shivering under cardigans and men are like, oh, what's the matter with you? You know, the constant battles, just the lack of, consideration because they've never had to think about it we are not encouraged to think about anybody else it's not necessarily our fault but we're just not yeah and one thing i'd pick up on that as well is noticing it in the in the world of of dating of business of of anything especially at a sort of older age there's there's a reason why lots of men in their sort of 50s and older perhaps are more open to dating than women in their 50s because of things like the menopause and things you know about childbearing and stuff and it's just not spoken about and I've always always thought going back to what you said Justin about sex education I've never understood why boys were siphoned off to a different room You, you will eventually have to learn about periods and you know it's gonna have to you have to know so why I just it 
it just I can't understand it. We should all be in that room. Yeah. Mm. I mean, it, fall, it falls to us then. I tire of having to give sex and, and body literacy education to every single person exactly. I'm friends with and that I date. It's not my job. And I think that it, even, you know, just to put it more, you know, on an equal level, women should also, you know, young girls should also be learning about testicles. Yeah, they really should because there's a, there's such a knowledge gap. You know, you know, we need to know about each other, you know, in terms of more than your biology textbook exactly. and it, yeah it just really goes to show especially with the things people search for at Cosmo you know the amount of searches you know how do I do this how do I do that is this normal you know what is xyz you know it's not really um I don't know I mean it's great that we, we're giving this information but I just think it's a bit problematic that young people are having to come to you know, a site like Cosmopolitan when they, you know, they should be learning this stuff early doors at school. Well, um, I mean, you have to look in how much is learned through porn. And, yeah. you know, yeah. I think Cosmo is much better than <laughs> learning through porn. You're right there, yeah. You know, the amount of, uh, of stuff that goes on there and just people, young people learning through porn is, is extremely damaging. Mm. You know, mm. this huge industry that is replicating a totally different world of sex that is not, at all realistic to what actually happens um yeah i just think it's an absolutely damaging thing that i'm obviously you know, i'm not you can do whatever you want but like for young people watching that stuff is just really damaging it should never be your your first experience no. of sex it should never really be taken as reality but when you're young and you know there's an aspirational aspect to it i think mm. you know why you know you you kind of it's the competitiveness again you know the, yeah. mm. especially young boys watching it probably why you know why can't i be hammering away like that or yeah. whatever mm. it's that thing of um you know I'll, I'll just bluetooth you this you know back in the day when you bluetooth something over to people but like is that competitiveness it is i've i know this and you don't mm. and i'm more mature because i know about this position and you don't know about this position it's like it's it's so ironically it's so childish I think, because it's not in any way what the real world should be like, it, not what men should be should be behaving as. You know, they should be open and honest about these things. Yeah, and I mean, porn is not inherently bad. No, you not know, at all. We, um, we've been drawing dicks on the walls of caves since time immemorial. You know, we like to look at erotic content with visual creatures. But, yeah, you're totally right in that it's, you know, it's not a yardstick for anybody. Mm. And um, we, I think we do need, I mean... I'm an ambassador for the porn conversation and we do a lot with young people around what's real and what's not. But I just also think there's such a responsibility because I know men now are having this issue where they feel like they have to behave like porn stars because they think it's what women want and women don't want it either. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in, in queer relationships as well, you're finding that there are more instances of um, accidents that are happening because people are being too rough with each other. And that's not what we want to see. You know, we don't want to be ending up in hospital because our partner thinks that they need to be dominant. And that's normalised as well. Mm. And it's, that's just not, that's not how it should be. Well, this is what's interesting about porn, the way porn's going now with it being only fans. Yeah. Because now these are people kind of, they're just normal people. They're taking control. It. So the lines are even even more blurred. Mm. Like you say, porn, I think, is a it's a very positive thing when it's used used responsibly, which <laughs> immediately removes it of all sexiness <laughs> and all horniness. But it's like, you know, drink responsibly. Yeah. It's, it's the same um, for porn, I think. But 
it is becoming harder to discern you know what is just fantasy and what is reality when you have kind of the guy next door possibly you know literally is a camboy or whatever it also makes me wonder to what degree we're having to take all this on ourselves not just when it comes to porn and sex education but also all the aspects of dating i suppose communication we never we never have a class at school about how to communicate with people and it's not just something that we need for dating or relationships but we're we're going to be communicating with others for the rest of our lives so it's a skill that we're not encouraged to hone the skills that we're encouraged to hone are the you know all the the kind of dominant subjects that will get us into university and get us the the, the high paying jobs but yeah. but it's not the sort of relationship skills communication boundary setting um you know getting to know yourself i suppose you know asking yourself questions it's self-improvement none of that becomes part of not just a curriculum but a d just a discussion mm. even and that's why so many people are in therapy now because we didn't get the rse that we needed um, and we're now going to professionals who charge 100 pounds an hour for that and it doesn't seem fair because really every young person i think from secondary school age should be having all that rse you know they should be having conversations about self-worth and you know how to relate to other people and luckily um you know educators like myself we're able to provide that now and teachers are getting proper qualified um you know professional standard accredited so they're you know they're able to relay that information but this is literally happening now so none of us were privy to that or had the benefit of it so we're all piecing it together as we go along um, but I am happy to, to see that things are changing. But yeah, there's, it's going to have a knock-on effect, but it's going to be a while before we notice that because, you know, these kids are still kids and the sorts of people that are dating now are all incredibly dysregulated and didn't get that education. <laughs> so here we are. Yeah, it's all left to families, isn't it? And the thing is, is that since our parents were dating, everything has completely changed. They don't know anything about this world. When I used to say to my mum that I was going on a date with a man I'd met online, she was convinced I would be murdered. She just had no comprehension of what it would mean mm. to go on a date with someone you'd met on an app. And this is the we cannot rely really on families to pass on this um, this education because a lot of the time these families are not necessarily in the healthiest of relationships anyway and all have their own checkered dating histories where they may not have treated somebody well and they're just and trying to pass on that information to your child is probably quite a, a difficult thing anyway it's the reason that most parents don't even bother having the birds and the bees chat they leave it to the to the school because they're not trained educators and this kind of stuff does have to be handled sensitively i think it's it's more joked about than actually done i don't think a lot of parents in like, i wouldn't know of any parents have in this day and age actually take their child and sit them down and say look there's this thing that happens it's not a special cuddle it's called sex <laughs> you know i don't i don't know if that happens i think it's just yeah i feel like it would be just left to schools and that, again if it, the curriculum is not structured enough and well well balanced to be you know sex positive and actually invoke some feeling of being confident in yourself and honest about yourself yeah i just don't think it would work because you need the playing field to be level yeah. and not all parents are going to be honest with their children there could be you know religious issues in there or you know past trauma that kind of thing you need everyone to be having the same foundation just like they are in academic subjects the principle to me is exactly the same 
Yeah, absolutely. And I also think, you know, we are still in a situation where if parents are talking to their kids about sex, they're telling girls not to have it and they're telling boys, your pleasure is important, but don't get people pregnant. Yeah. And women aren't told that their pleasure is important. So then you have a, you know, a bunch of men going out thinking, oh, well, I'm going to get off. My pleasure is important. As long as I wear a condom, it's fine. Yeah. And I'm not going to get this person pregnant, but I'm not necessarily going to think about whether she's enjoying it and she's doing it from a perspective of no one can know I'm doing this because it's not allowed. So uh, we would need to address that as well, I Mm. think. And that's an element of shame that like lasts as well. Mm. Just, you know, going into university, like people, like women I, you know, you knew knew at university who would go years thinking, I I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I did that. Mm. And it's just like, well, you shouldn't, you shouldn't have to feel that shame for what you did. No, have a good time, gal. Yeah. I mean, I, I get the impression that for women, it's perhaps, I don't know if easy is the word, but as I, as I think I mentioned at the beginning, there's, there's so many avenues for women to talk about dating and sex and, every, and relationships. And there's, you know, there's dating columns, there's YouTube videos, there's, I think probably my intuition would be a lot more discussion between friends about dating and that doesn't seem to be the case for men. And and as you were saying, with education at school, women kind of go off to learn about things while while men just watch, you know, a World War Two video or something. Mm-hmm. So what's the what do you think the ideal model is for men to learn about all of these kind of things? Is it creating a space in media for men to discuss things as well as having something more formal within a school curriculum? that actually teaches men about dating and relationships and sex and, and, and how to navigate all those those different areas? Well, it's got to be, yeah, it's certainly got to be teaching boys that communication, friendship, all of this stuff is as important, you know, because you walk into a, a clothing store and you still see all of the slogans on the girls' T-shirts saying things like, smile, be happy, talk, I'm fun. And all of the boys are like, you know, I don't know, NASA or stud, you know, stud, Mm, exactly, whatever. Um, (laughs) But, you know, so we have to we have to make sure that EQ and communication and all that is is at a level playing field there. But yeah, when we get into um, the different seasons of our lives, I don't you know, I have to say, I don't know what the answer is, because, yes, we need to see better role models, as Dan said, and we also do need to see um, better examples of communication. You know, I think in media, it's it's getting better because, you know, we've got all these new shows that we all love where we're seeing good examples of masculinity and we're seeing good examples of communication. And, you know, I know everyone loved Sex Education. Everyone loved Ted Lasso. Like all these shows are dealing with these things in ways that are quite healthy, which is good. Um, In terms of actually creating a platform for people to talk to each other and for men to talk to each other, we have all of the kind of same, like, it's okay not to be okay, check in on your bros type rhetoric Mm. that comes from charities and media. But, you know, there really has to be more than that. And I do think it's great. There are apps like Paired and that kind of thing now. There's Bumble BFF. I've got a friend that moved out of the country and said, I'm really embarrassed. I'm using it to meet other dudes, but I don't have any friends here. And, you know, I was like, don't be embarrassed. That's great. It's really nice. You need to meet people. You need to make friends. Um, So I think those interventions and provisions are really important. Um, But it's, you know, it's easier said than done just to say to a bunch of dudes who are bad at talking about their feelings and being vulnerable. Hey, do you want to try talking about your feelings and being vulnerable? Yeah, because a lot of men are quite hostile to that and quite hostile to 
kind of being spoken directly to. I find it interesting. We were talking uh, before this about uh, how men are searching terms and, and finding, you know, your writing on Cosmopolitan. When I wrote for GQ, um, with this kind of advice aimed at men, a lot of men were very receptive. A lot of women read it as well. But some men were quite hostile and not just about the sex stuff like pegging, but they don't like to be told that they are perhaps not in touch with their emotions. And I wonder if the answer is more shared experiences. I think one issue is that men feel like they are very much individuals and they are not necessarily open to seeing themselves some people like to see themselves in, in, in other people's writing and, and share the experiences. But I think often, perhaps it's the competitiveness, a man is more likely to set himself apart from an experience that he reads about, oh, I would never do that, or that's nothing like me, or I would have done that completely differently. So all it's going to take is a complete rewiring of the way a man's brain works, which is, <laughs> just seems very achievable. Could do, that a, could do that in an afternoon, couldn't you, I think? I think it's just just more of this. Uh, and like you were saying, something that's much more, um, has much more to it than it's okay not to be okay and talk. Because the trouble with encouraging men to talk to one another is that they are not necessarily equipped to deal with what they hear. It's not learning, is it? Exactly. Yeah. And this is the whole checking in with your friends is a good idea. But then what do you do with what they tell you? And no one is quite making that leap to the next stage is that we also need kind of guidance in how we are being the the receivers of this kind of this anguish or whatever's wrong, you know, the, the problems that people are talking about. Because usually when people talk about their problems, they're not necessarily looking for solutions. They just want to be heard. Mm. And so it's quite a man thing to just fire solutions at you. Well, have you tried this? Have you tried that? Mm. Just because it's too much to deal with. Yeah. And they're always quite mechanical kind of, they are literal things that you can do to solve the problems. And if it's an issue which is so emotional, like, you know, like with dating, and it, it's it's not easily solved with just turning a spanner. It, it, no. it takes time. It These takes things need work. air. Yeah. And I do think that um, even though it is quite stigmatised, if you are a man that's dealing with just, you know, feeling like you're off your game or you're feeling sad, it's okay to talk to a counsellor or a coach or a therapist if you feel like you can't talk to your friends. Because your friends might just fire solutions at you or they might not be, as Justin said, equipped to deal with what you tell them. So talking to a professional is absolutely okay. You know, we, um, you know, we, some of us just need a little help and that's fine. I think investment in mental health care is is really important because for all of these schemes that you see i mean i think now that we all know that you have to talk about it we've seen enough posters and we have enough we're all very aware we get it <laughs> but there's no facilities there to listen yeah there, what are, there, there are no therapists yeah. you know apart from investing a, a lot of money which mm. just is not available to you know working class guys or people of more modest means mm. um, and often they are the people who might feel the most trapped by masculinity um so that is the answer really i i feel is just a much a bigger financial and emotional investment nationally into looking after the mental health of not just men but women as well this kind of stuff we really should be able to get this kind of stuff on the nhs and you shouldn't have to be a very serious case yeah. to get it there's there's been a lot recently in the news about how um we're still really not over covid 
and it's a serious mental health crisis that we just haven't solved because no. um, it, it, and it, it's affected not just feeling like trapped with what, what COVID actually did, but things like relationships, jobs, families, that kind of thing. And you're absolutely right that it would solve a lot of problems if we had that facility. But yeah, it would take time and money. I think we also seem to be at that stage with mental health where we're still kind of acknowledging that it's a thing mm. and that it's a thing that affects women and men, but less good at, as you say, Justin, actually talking about it and knowing what to do with the information. So I think it's it's also slightly reflective of just where we are on that mental health journey. But yeah, completely agree that we need to do a lot more on that front um, to make it accessible. I think especially around relationships as well, because we, you, when you hear about mental health conversations and it's okay not to be okay, and even things around suicide and eating disorders and so on, it's much more open than it used to be, which is fantastic. But I've never ever heard of a relationship counselling or relationships with mental health kind of advert or you having problems in your marriage or that kind of thing because it's always pinned down to sort of you know marriage guidance or these kind of quite old-fashioned way of doing things and you know if you do need help with your relationship it's you should be able to get a counsellor mm. and it's much more accessible than it you know it needs to be I think but yeah. yeah we see it as a personal failure I think as well when our relationships aren't working out and we really do internalize that and you know with stuff like just communicating more, leaving each other notes, playing like a relationships game. I know it all sounds hammy, but it is, it's doing the work. And it, in the same way that you might pull a card for yourself each day, if you want to do that for your relationship, um, I'm not saying everyone needs to, you know, use affirmation cards because some people find them absolutely laughable. But, you know, these things can be useful. Um, ask each other a question each day, you know, checking in with each other is really, really important. Um, you know, if your relationship isn't going the way you want it to go because of COVID or because of anything else, it's not your failing. And there are two people in that relationship and it does take work. You know, we all have to work ourselves and our relationships every day. These things don't come naturally to us. They are difficult. Just to say, I think that's a really important point about it being work. I think this plays into relationships and dating and everything. What we were talking about with this focus on aesthetics and the ideal of what a man should look like it's kind of a shortcut to doing all that work and to and to have this idea that there is someone out there that's just for you that is the one who will know exactly what you want and you'll know exactly what they want and you'll fit together perfectly i think i feel like it's kind of also encouraged by our dating culture and dating apps there is this one person who you will just slot in with and you won't have to do any work and everything you'll sail off into the sunset Mm, I hate it. It's a fantasy that we've been sold time and time again, um, that we're two halves of the of the whole. You're a whole all by yourself and, you know, mm. work on yourself and make yourself really wonderful and someone else will be doing that too and then you'll meet and you'll work on yourselves together. There is <laughs> There is absolutely no happy ending there's no you know there's no finite moment no prince charming like, everything yeah, yeah everything just keeps yeah. turning so you've got to do the best you can do yeah. yeah and it seems to me this is also playing into the way we approach dating and dating apps you know you get bored with just chatting with someone so you ghost them or you go on a few dates and then you can't really be bothered to do it anymore for whatever reason so it's kind of unrealistic expectations that we're being sold about what dating and what relationships actually are. And I mean, you shouldn't be open to everything. I mean, people have said to me like, 
oh, I didn't, I didn't feel fireworks, fine. But if you didn't even feel a spark, you know, it's fine. Call it a day, tell that person, oh, sorry, I didn't really feel connected to you. Um, and they'll probably be like, yep, fine, I'll deal with that in my own way. Or they'll be like, yeah, same, you're awful, see you later. <laughs> but, you know, it, it is a case of it's not going to be love at first sight. You know, you might be overwhelmed by how much you're attracted to someone or, you know, how much chat they've got or how good they smell or whatever. Um, but just make sure that you're, yeah, you know, you're, you're bearing your boundaries and your checkboxes in mind, but you're not overdoing it. Um, you do need to feel a little sparkle but it's you know you have to enjoy your time there exactly exactly it's not just like it's not a it it may not even be a relationship but at least you've had like a good drink with a person Mm. who was fun to talk to or fun to get like understand a bit better yeah and like you said it's not going to be fireworks on the first date and if it is then jolly good great (laughs) good for you Uh, but that just but I, I do think that leads us into unhealthy relationship territory as well, because some people, I was guilty of this certainly in my early 20s, are looking for drama and excitement and romance and, you know, this huge kind of overbearing sense of connection that is sold to us by romantic media. Um, but that can sometimes be a red flag, because if someone's bringing that energy, it probably means you're both quite dysregulated and you're both a bit jangly and looking for something that maybe isn't safe and sound and healthy. So, yeah, I would say if you're looking for love and fireworks at first sight, maybe consider why, what's missing, are you okay with yourself, <laughs> you know? Well, that's the whole issue with, like, love bombing, mm. you know? That, that over kind of enthusiastic uh, nature of just putting everything on the table. Mm. I wonder if this has accelerated... I mean, I hate blaming social media for everything because I love social media. It's, you know, it's been a wonderful thing in my life. But I wonder if it's been accelerated because of the, 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 the need not to accept that life is a lot of filler, mm-hmm. really. A lot of life is just administration and getting mm. from one place to another. And yet we chase this ideal, things we can post and whatever. You know, I think it's the same in, in relationships. We're looking for this constant... Like people who are people do actively seek drama, which I find quite wild actually. That mm. you would want to be kind of tearing at each other constantly, yeah. when it's really just someone to get along with and do very boring stuff with is probably what you're looking for. I mean, not everyone can be Burton and Taylor, you know. You'll just have to be dullards sometimes. Yeah. But life mm. is not a highlights reel, you know. As you say, it's you know, it's not your your best moments. It is you know, just pootling along and doing your thing. It does have to be lived. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's also why, you know, for many people, love is taking the bins out with someone who you feel really safe with. And, you know, it doesn't have to be Burton and Taylor because that is actually quite, quite nice when you've found someone that you can just be yourself with and feel comfortable and safe with. Something a member of my family said that love, true love is the ability to be able to laugh at the same thing and also cry at the same thing. Mm. And... Mm feel comfortable in each other's company when doing so. I just think that's, yeah, that is that is nice, actually, because it's that element of you feel that you're safe to be that vulnerable and also safe to have a really annoying laugh. Mm. Um, and it's absolutely fine to do so. Yeah, yeah. I love that. But, and, you know, don't get me wrong, I, I consistently go after toxic people because, you know, that's my type. <laughs> but at the same time, you know... I, it's good to follow my own advice and I think we you know looking for safety and looking for you know shared 
shared interests and things you can laugh at and things you can cry out with someone and seeing them as a whole person is really really important it's basics isn't it mm. it's weird because it is literally just it's like the sims almost <laughs> you're looking for the it's just the absolute basics of like compatibility mm. and we don't we don't actually accept it and we're always looking for something like you said a little bit of drama or um you know someone who doesn't even acknowledge your existence and somehow that's the sexiest thing in the world <laughs> Yeah, I guess there's there's probably a lack of understanding that dating is also, it takes a bit of time, right? You, you might find someone that you have a spark with instantly, but equally you might have someone that you get to know over a period of time and that, that kind of bond and connection grows, um, which probably feeds into all this, you know, focus on aesthetics again. And, and you know, if, if someone doesn't seem to fit who you think you you should be with you can move on to someone else because there's so many people out there mm. there's a lot to be said though for what justin said about getting to know someone that building that friendship really you know really understanding somebody before you commit to something um i like the idea of you know maybe you had an initial huge spark with someone else but maybe if you fan the flames with another person it's going to turn into something way better i think with me personally as well i've, I've found it to be quite an interesting way to just socialize basically and I've actually made quite a few friends off of dating mm, same and I, I think it's it's not really acknowledged that that well how it can just be an opportunity for you to almost just practice socializing as well which mm. is why I've, I've often found it really strange when I've been on some dates where I've really had to ask a lot of questions and it felt like so much effort. And I found, found that so so strange because I, I thought, surely there's enough that we can talk about, even if we don't, if we're not interested in each other, even if we're not gonna be best friends, there's, there's enough for us to talk about for two or three hours in an evening mm -hmm. over a beer to get to know each other and to know what's happening in each other's lives. But some, for some people, it just it became so difficult. So many questions that I had to ask and getting one or two word answers that sometimes I wonder if our attitudes around dating are also, well, if I don't meet the person that I'm meant to be with, then I'm just not even going to bother putting any effort into even keep the conversation going. Oh God, or at I least mean, that's what yeah. it seems like to me with with. You can tell within like 20 seconds sometimes whether someone's going to make the effort with you. It can be quite dispiriting, could be quite dispiriting back in the day. Yeah, just, you know, when they know they don't fancy you, so that's it, they don't bother. Yeah. Crushing. I could never do that though. I feel like I'm, maybe I'm such a people pleaser that the moment I sit down, I, pro I probably do know within 20 seconds oh, whether yeah, this do, person's yeah. a goer or not. But I will definitely sit there and have a good time because you've left your house you know <laughs> like you, you, might, it, yeah. you might as well enjoy it exactly um, two showers <laughs> you know you might as well make the effort make them worth it yeah, yeah. i mean what a for me it's like i'm not going to waste my makeup i'm, I'm going to no. sit here and talk to you i'm just yeah. one of those people who you know even when i'm going through uh security at an airport i want to make sure that i'm the nicest person they've met all day of course yeah. so even if i didn't fancy someone i would at least Give them the courtesy of it's two right, hours of friendliness. Mm, yes. Right, it's courtesy. Exactly. Because mm. you never yeah. know. You're right. I have made really good friends through dating apps because I try to be kind in my rejections, but say, it would be a real shame if we didn't meet up again because I actually really enjoyed talking to you, had a really good time. We had loads in common. Um, some men take that really well. Um, I find women take it, you know, you, you, you're, you know, this is just 
women who date women, you're going to be friends with all of them and you're going to know everyone in London that dates other women because that's just <laughs> what lesbians are like. But, you know, with men, sometimes it's really well taken and sometimes it's, well, didn't fancy you anyway, whatever, fuck off. Mm, and I swear yeah. on this podcast, sorry. <laughs> I used fine. to get a lot of, um, I'm not here to make friends, Justin. Yeah. should be quite... Wow, okay. Yeah. Now I, but now I know, so I've dodged a bullet. So well, That's fine. quite a thing, just uh, on kind of queer men dating, especially dating apps, it's very matter-of-fact. Mm. I've never, the, compared to, like, more heterosexual, I suppose, um, dating apps um, and dating experiences, whenever I've been out for a drink with a guy who I fancied or whatever, it's always been very, like, we're going to do this and then we're going to go home and then I'm going to bang you. It's like, okay, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't what I was getting in for, but, you know. Yeah, some of my friends tell me that it is far less personal mm. and men do put in far less effort, especially with grinder culture, and that they do feel like they're on a bit of a conveyor belt, which, yeah, I I think, I don't know, like, if that, if that's what you're after, fine, and some women are after that too, so, you know, but I, yeah. The, the, some of the stories I hear where I think that sometimes they feel a little ill-used afterwards. Oh, completely. Can really, you know, completely. can really chip away at you. Yeah, it's a ho- it is, I mean, it is an absolute horrible app, but it's also an incredibly, incredibly liberating app as well. Yeah, because mm. everyone's still on it, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, it's still on my phone. It's like, it's just, it is this situation where, yes, you'll get random dick pics with 55-year-old men uh, called Charles, but like... <laughs> At the same level, you might actually have a nice conversation with someone. Mm. Um, but that, I mean, that's dating, isn't it? You have yeah. some really shit experiences and then you have some yeah. okay ones. Yeah. I think what's interesting about Grinder is that everyone is there for more or less the same reason. And yet you'll see so much variation between mm. those reasons. And a lot of dating really is about being upfront about your intentions, but perhaps with a willingness to adapt no matter what happens. But yeah, with Grinder, I think you do have to be quite direct about your intentions if you don't want to hurt someone mm. or be hurt. Um, I only really, really used it for dating. Um, and a lot of people, that would really piss off a lot of men. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> I don't want to chat. And, you know, like you said, oh, I don't want to mm. chat. And uh, what, how many dates do you want to go on? Because I, I would always say, just so you know, we're not having sex the first time we're going on a date, obviously. <laughs> like, you know, a couple yeah. of drinks and I would just forget that rule completely. But <laughs> that was the rule uh, that was on the table at, mm. yeah, at first. Yeah, I, it's it's such a, a, it's such a weird, like, culture in itself um, because it is that level of intensity and um and yet there's this still an element of sincerity behind some of the people who are genuinely there mm. because they want to make friends yeah. and they want to meet people because that maybe like you know if, if um i'm 27 and you know still seeing people on there who are like 24 25 whatever and you know they've left home and they may not have come out and they want to make friends and it's just like part of that is really quite wholesome in a way that they are opening up to things but there is also the element of yeah the nastier side i guess i mean it's not for the faint-hearted which is a shame because it's the faint-hearted that need it the most and yeah exactly and it is a it's a rite of passage as well like it is the thing i feel that a lot of queer men are like all right well i'll just stand low grinder (laughs) it's just it's just part of it and perhaps it shouldn't be and perhaps there should be better experiences much like you know um, more kind of a straight dating experiences but I don't know. It's you're, difficult. You're right, though. It's kind of where we are. And I, I do often find as well myself that um, 
I match with a lot of young women who have just moved to the city who just want to navigate the queer scene. Yeah. And they're just kind of looking for an elder to help them through that. Which, an elder. <laughs> which, well, yeah, I'm in my 30s, we'll, we'll call it that. Um, but, you know, if you've got sort of 18-year-old girls who have just moved to London who don't know where to go, and there aren't really many lesbian bars, it's like two I can think of, mm. um, you know, they want to know where to go, where to hang out, where the nights are, um, which is great, but then you also feel like, um, I don't know, there should be more than dating apps for this kind of thing yeah. um, to build community. Um, and certainly I think for you know young men that move to London and think, right, where's my, where's my scene? Like, yeah. where's it at? They're obviously gonna download Grindr because exactly. that's you know, a, a really useful tool for that kind of thing. But you know, watch out for Charles. <laughs> yeah, Charles is, is there. Um, <laughs> that kind of brings, I think we have to go to, to a close, unfortunately. Um, but I've sort of what a, one last question, I guess. What's next? Like, what is the thing which happens next? What What is the, the spark that changes things? I guess what's next is us remembering our humanity, I think. We're all kind of up in arms about AI and deep fakes and chatting to bots and, you know, being catfished, we really need to remember that we ourselves are not digital creatures. It's a tool and we can use it for good. Um, but it is also, like Justin was saying at the top of the episode, it's it's a game and we can't be putting our whole selves into it or taking it too seriously. I think remembering our humanity and to be human with each other is really, really important. And the, the state and the fate of dating really rests on remembering that. Yeah. I agree with Emily 100% there, actually. And I think it's interesting that you mentioned technology because I think with AI and the deep fakes and general worries about data and people being very careless with things like screenshots and that kind of thing, I think we will perhaps see maybe not a move away from technology because it's so ingrained and it's so useful to us, but I think it will exist alongside more organic ways of meeting people more. And I can see things like, you know, not speed dating or anything like that, but I can see networking events becoming more popular as people start to go back to the office. I can see the date me docs and people using, you know, friends for matchmaking. I think we're going to, we're going to go a little bit more analog and like you say, remembering our humanity and, it's going to come through people we already trust rather than relying on algorithms and even in dating on things like in Instagram stories or whatever. I think it will very much become about friendship groups and community. I hope so anyway, but I, I feel that we are starting to become very suspicious of technology and it's not doing for us what it should. And it's the, the age old thing of, you know, labor saving devices don't tend to save you any labor. You just spend longer doing something that's a bit whizzier. Yeah. Mm. And I think so that true. there'll be a general dissatisfaction. You know, people are always saying I'm over the apps, but people have been saying that for about a decade. Exactly. Yeah, we've all said there. it. <laughs> I just think we'll start looking for more meaningful connections uh, in the flesh. I, I think I think that's 100% true. And just from personal experience, every day I've been on, or every snog I've had with um, a, a friend of a friend has always been so much more authentic and like sort of fulfilling as a, a relationship building or mm. even just that single moment has always been better than an app. Yeah, because um, even if you don't realise it, the checkboxes have already been done for you a couple of exactly. processes before, yeah. invisibly in the background. 
attraction is such a complex and multifaceted thing and it's not just about looking at someone's beach photos or whether you know they like the same tv series as you and that's where i think the move as you say to more analog forms of meeting people is really important because i think back to some of the you know not just relationships but some of the dalliances i suppose i've had in the past and if i had taken the approach that i would have taken with dating apps i don't think i ever would have got together with that person and that mm. would have denied me a you know a really enjoyable experience so there's so much to you know what what makes someone attractive yeah and you just don't get that i think it will really benefit men as well that move to everybody especially but i think men being able to show who they are in person mm. it's that it's discovery powerful. isn't it mm. it's that discovery of who you are as a person yourself but also the other the person you're sat next to or sat opposite you the the fun is in funding things out mm. um, and if we've learned anything from catfish the tv show it's that People are actually better in person. You don't need a filter. You don't need to hide behind something. I know it's very hard for men to approach women in bars or when you're out in the wild. Um, and, you know, I can be quite standoffish if I'm not in the mood to be spoken to. But it's okay to talk to people. You know, just don't be creepy with it. I feel like, you know, a lot of men say, oh, I don't know how to do it. Just don't be creepy. Just be friendly. Just be nice. And if it's a no, it's a no. That's, you know, that's all, all the advice I can give, really. Respect the, mm. respect the space. Yeah, that's it. Mm, absolutely. Well, it's been a, a really uh, interesting and just we've gone into absolutely everything that I think we could possibly could with relationships, which has been brilliant. Um, so thank you once again to uh, Justin Myers and uh, Emily Lavinia for joining us. Uh, uh, my name is Dan Reist. And I'm Matt Kendall. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Love Cupboard.